So in Genesis chapter 23, you have the death of Sarah. Well, another important thing to note about the death of Sarah, though, which I think is really fascinating, is um, in the death of Sarah, the Bible talks about how Abraham grieved and was really sad about this. And, you know, he was really desperate to make sure she had a proper burial. He was in a land that wasn't known to him. And so he ends up going to like extreme lengths to basically purchase this cave, which they give him for free, um, to bury his wife in. And why that's important is a lot of times people look at Abraham as the, this great person of the faith, which he was, and they think people think, well, obviously Abraham and Sarah were blessed by the Lord. When she died, she lived a long life. She was old. You know, she was over 170 years old or, or whatnot here. And when she dies, it's kind of assumed that, okay, well, she's obviously going to go to heaven and be, be with God. And Abraham would know this. So why was he so sad and upset? And I think it's kind of a neat point that the Bible points that out here because even though you know somebody's going to die and go to heaven, and even though you know that you know your wife or your husband was a great person, they lived a long life and a happy life on earth, at the same time, it's still a sad moment because you lose them here on earth. You know, and, and you know you're going to spend the rest of your life here on earth without that person. And it'll be several years or so until you see them again. And so the Bible lets us know that it's okay to mourn. It's okay to take some time to weep and to grieve. Now, it's not okay to stay in that state. You need to actually eventually come out of that. Back in like Jewish custom, they took a, basically a whole week just to kind of grieve and to mourn and to be with family and to pray and to just really kind of um, talk about how to move past this and then how to continue on. And I'm sure there were still times throughout Abraham's life where he looked back and he was sad that Sarah wasn't there, but he got, he got strength to move on. But I think it's an important note here that it is okay when you lose somebody, even if they're going to heaven, to, to take a moment to mourn and to, and to grieve about that because it's, it's healthy to do that and, and it's good to, move, to do that so you can move on and push forward. Um, also, very important to note here, when Sarah died, God promised that he would make Isaac a great nation. At this point, Isaac's not even married, okay? So he doesn't have any offspring. And so Sarah dies not really seeing this promise fulfilled. So what do you guys think about that? God promises Sarah, your son Isaac, he's going to be this great nation, and he's going to have all these descendants. Well, at this time, um, Isaac is probably at least in his 30s, okay? So he's pretty old and for not being married at that time. And... She's probably thinking to herself, possibly, well, God, this didn't really happen. This didn't really come true. You know, you promised my son was going to be this great nation, and he's not really that. And so she dies without ever seeing this promise come true. Now, what's neat to see, though, is in the next part here, and you look at, at chapter 24 in Genesis, what happens? Isaac meets Rebecca, and Rebecca's this really beautiful woman. Um, he inquires about her and spends some time with her. They hit it off really well. They get married and boom, start popping the kids, you know. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and so, um, but I want you guys, so eventually Isaac does become this great nation and many descendants come from Isaac. But see, Rebecca never saw that in her lifetime. So I want you guys to think about that in your own lives today. Sometimes God will promise you things and say, hey, Bradley, this is going to happen or I'm going to take care of you or your family but you may not see how that ever actually come to fruition. And that's why the Bible talks so much about faith and about trust. Because sometimes we don't see things that God promises, but God's working you know, behind the scenes. Or God's still working even though we don't see it right then. And it, whether we see it here on earth or we see it in heaven, all the things that God promises us will come true. And it will come to how he says it will come. 
but it may just not happen in, in our time or how we want it to happen. You know, like if we ask God, you know, please, um, you know, help my family member that's going through this sickness or help this person. You know, we expect it sometimes to happen right then, you know, that day. And then if it doesn't happen for a week or a month or a year, we're like, God didn't really listen to me. God doesn't really care. But he, he did listen to you, and he does care. And he may, his plan may or may not be to heal that person, but if he plans to heal that member of your family, maybe it takes a little bit longer because there's a bigger plan involved and you just can't see at the moment. You know, maybe you lose a loved one. You say, God, I don't know why I lost this loved one. That's not fair. And maybe it doesn't seem fair in our earthly eyes, but again, God has a plan with that. He allows those things to happen, sometimes causes those things to happen for a bigger plan that we just can't see. And we might not even see in our lifetime. But when we get to heaven one day, you know, God will reveal that to us on why he allowed this to happen, why this happened. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, light bulbs go off. Like, oh, it makes total sense why this happened. So I can imagine Sarah, when she gets to heaven, she's like, oh, now I see. He's going to meet Rebecca later on in life. She's going to be the perfect person for him, at least for that time. And they're going to have these ascendants. So pretty cool. Um, and then, and then, um, um, well, she turns out to not be a uh, wonderful person at the end. Um, she's a good, she's a good wife for a long time. She ends up picking favorites though. And that's when we get to the Ishmael. Um, well, not Ishmael. We get to the Isaac and Esau, uh, Esau and Jacob. Uh, so uh, in, in Genesis chapter 25, um, you have Abraham dies. So you get Sarah dies, Isaac finds a wife, boom, dad dies. So <laughs> it's a very interesting sequence there, how it puts it. It's like sandwiched there in the Bible, mom, marriage, death. Um, and so it's a little bit interesting. Um, <laughs> but um, what's important to note is Isaac and Ishmael come to the burial of Abraham. So again, apparently somewhere in history, they re, you know, at least put their differences aside and were able to come together for moments like that. Um, which is neat to see because Ishmael really probably has some really harsh feelings toward both Abraham and Sarah for what they did to him and sent him away. But yeah, he still came back and respected uh, the deaths there. Um, and then this ushers in a new era of leaders. So Abraham was the patriarch for a long time. He was the guy that everybody looked to. He was the father of the faith. Now he's dead. And now his wife is dead. And so now his son Isaac and Ishmael becomes kind of his own leader. And Isaac now is going to become the new kind of patriarch they were going to focus the story on going forward. Who's for Ishmael? Ishmael is the is Abraham's son as well, but he was a son with um, Hagar, which was his servant uh, back then. So it's a little bit so it's a little bit different story there. All right, so Genesis chapter twenty five, um, verses twenty one through twenty four. I want you guys to listen to this as we get started here, and it says this right here. How to find it there. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Now what do you guys think about this? So Isaac is about 40 years old, or 40 years old when he marries Rebecca. And it says that in the Bible. He says 40 years old in the Bible. Um, so uh, he marries her, he probably meets her right around that same time and marries her around 40, right at 40. And so um, he's, uh, he's relatively older, and I'm sure she's, you know, probably around that age, as you could be a little bit younger. And so they start to try to have kids, you know, not long after they get married. Back then, that was a really big deal, too. When you got married to somebody and you had kids, like your offspring were a big deal. Like if your kids turned out to be really good, it was like a good reflection on you and vice versa. And so they were trying to have kids and she was barren. Basically means that they tried and tried and no kid came. 
which I think is kind of interesting because if you look at his mom, Sarah had the same problem. Uh, you know, Sarah didn't have a kid till she was way, way up in the years. And, um, and so he kind of saw this growing up and he knew that God's faithfulness would come to pass. And he knew what, what God did through his wife or through his mom, uh, Sarah. So I'm sure this kind of rained in the back of his head. And this is what he does. So he goes to the Lord and pleads to the Lord. And he says right here in verse 21, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, it is, If it is all well, why am I like this? So she sent to inquire of the Lord. And so she's, she has two kids inside, twins actually. So God blesses someone with not just one baby, but two at the same time here. But she's having this like pain and stuff that's happening. She's like, what is going on down there? And um, so she, she inquires of the Lord. Let's just pass that on. Uh, she inquired of the Lord, and the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separate, separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in the womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, which I think is kind of funny when it says that. This is, this is real words from the Bible. Um, so they, so they, he was red and hairy. And they, and they called his name Esau. Afterward, afterward, his brother came out. And, his, and when his brother came out, his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Now listen to this. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him. Okay. Again, they get married around 40, 20 years. Long time. Okay, long time. It doesn't happen just right away. But sure enough, God, what God promised them, it does come to pass. See, this, this cycle is repeated all throughout Scripture. God promises. It doesn't happen right then. But when it does, it's really miraculous. And so he, he causes the people not to trust and to have faith. Same thing is true in our life today. It doesn't happen right away. That's why faith's involved. Um, and so the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, which I think is kind of funny, dwelling in the tents. He's kind of a home, homebody. Um, and Isaac loved to eat. And now here's what we're gonna, here's where the story takes a dramatic turn. In verse 28 of chapter 25 of Genesis, it says, And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So they're married all these years, have a good marriage when we can tell. Rebekah's been a great wife to him. But now there's going to be some conflict in the marriage. Because they have these two kids, and they pick favorites. Uh, Dad likes Esau because he's a hunter. He goes out and he kills all these animals, and he cooks them like nice meals and things. And Dad's like, "Yeah, that's my boy." And then um, Rebecca, she likes Jacob. He's kind of more of a homebody, kind of chills out in the house, and they kind of relate more. And so they pick favorites. And it says this very clearly in the Bible that one loved this one, one loved the other. And as you guys can probably tell. When you have family favorites, disaster is always going to happen. Uh, this is true today, too. If parents choose one kid over another and they play favoritism, the other kids pick up on that. Uh, and they're going to get mad. It's going to cause division. It's going to cause conflict. The husband and wife are going to be at odds. And all of a sudden, the whole family starts getting shook um, because of this. And the longer it festers, the more this goes on, the more dangerous and deadly it becomes. So they realize this is a problem. 
but they don't stop it. They don't talk. They don't sit down and talk about it. They don't say, hey, let's work through this. Maybe I can hang out with Jacob more. Maybe I can hang out with Esau more. Maybe we can find some common ground somewhere. Really you know, like they're, they're both still our sons, but, but you know, they, they don't do anything like that. They, you know, they just kind of continue on with their own wives. You know, Jacob's loving Esau and Rebecca is loving um, Jacob. Isaac. Isaac, I'm sorry, Isaac, yeah. So, um, they both they both deserve to get a birthright, being sons of Isaac. And Isaac was obviously this great ruler back then, or became this great nation. And one day, Esau comes in from hunting out in the fields, and he's pretty hungry and thirsty. And he sees Jacob, and he's he has some like stew. Uh, and I think it's kind of funny. I feel like Jacob's just like kind of like the the very feminine version of Esau. He's just in the house cooking and hanging out with mom, and you know. Back today, probably watching Netflix, but um, but, you do. but uh, no, it's um, but um, but anyway, so that's that's Kenny. I'm a stay, he's a stay at home wife. Um, so uh, Jacob's just kind of chilling, and he's also like, Man, dude, look, I really need some food. Like, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, like, I feel like I'm about to die of thirst over here, which he's probably being pretty dramatic, but anyways, uh, Jacob's Jacob, instead of just being nice, a nice brother to him, again, they're kind of at odds here in the family, he tells him, I'll give you this, like. Um, stew if you sell me your birthright, uh, which is <laughs> crazy. But Esau, probably not the wisest guy in the world. He's more of an outdoorsman, just kind of out in the wilderness. He's like, yeah, you know, I don't need it, you know, whatever, man. And so he sells him the birthright. Um, so now, now um, Jacob has both birthrights um, for basically a pot of stew. Um, so this, this happens. And then we fast forward to the end of the life of um, Isaac. I want you guys to listen this is very important here on what happens. This is in Genesis chapter 27, and it's in verses 5 through 13. It says this right here. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. Again, this is his favorite, so he's going to be talking to him a lot more than he does Jacob. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son. Now, before she say this, the reason Esau is going out to the field is because dad basically told him that, hey, look, we know, everybody knows I'm about to pass away here. My days are limited. Can you go out to the field, you know, kill me something and cook it for me the way I like it? I want something good tasting before I die, basically. So Esau was like, well, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And he's just kind of his last request. So this is what Rebecca says to Jacob. Now, listen to this. This is so, this is so deceiving. Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, bring me game and make savory food for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring from, from me there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father, and he may eat it, and he'll bless you instead of Esau. So Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, which, again, Jacob, I feel like, is kind of a smarter one, a little more intelligent, and he, he, he thinks about this and says, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. I'm like, well, okay. Um, and he says, perhaps my father will fill me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. So his mother said to him, she's like, well, I thought about this. I got you planned here. She said, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get him. I got a plan. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice of clothes of her elder son Esau, which were within her house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. 
And she put the skins of the kids of the goat on his hands and in the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hand of her son, Jacob. So this is what's funny is um, Jacob comes in dressed like Esau with, like, goat skin. So he feels, like, hairy and rough on his neck and on his hands. Because Isaac really is elderly. He probably can't see very well. So, you know, this is he's not. Yeah, he's going blind. Um, and so he's not going to be able to tell the difference of what Rebecca thinks. And he smells like Esau as well because of all the all the clothes. So they bring, he brings us in pretending to be Esau. And then it says, so he went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to the son, how do you find it so quickly? Now, this is kind of funny. Like, um, Isaac has a moment of kind of revelation here and thinks, how would Esau go out and kill these animals that quickly and then cook this meal? That was fast. Well, this was really fast because they just got the goats from the farm. You know, they didn't go out real far to do this. Um, but the fact that he thinks this, he just kind of blows it on and, and, and says this right here. Um, and he said, because the Lord brought it to me. Uh, so basically, I, uh, Jacob says, well, the Lord blessed me and lies about God blessing him and doing things for him. So he's going real far to, to make this sound true. And Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. Then he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So, God is sticking with this lie. Um, <laughs> and so, he gets now the birthright and the blessing. And you may think, well, what's the difference between a birthright and a blessing? And I kind of have that same thought, too. It was like, well, already, he's already gotten the birthright. Why does he need the blessing as well? So, I did a little bit of research on this. I'm not going to read all this. I'm just going to read an insert of this. So, the birthright is the right a child has from birth. You know, that's why it's called the birthright. But the birthright can be forfeited, and that's what happens when um, Esau gives it up to Jacob. So the birthright can be forfeited. However, a blessing is like an additional um, honor that a father can give to like their son as they're dying. And so Esau, being his favorite son, would have obviously got the bigger blessing, maybe a little bit of an inheritance, uh, whatever that may look like, probably been a ruler, a king, that kind of deal. But instead... Now Jacob's gotten that too. And Esau is basically left with nothing. Um, and so Esau comes back in after some time. And obviously Isaac is pretty upset. And Esau is pretty ticked. Uh, they're not happy. And Esau, in a sense, tells, um, tells them that I'm going to kill my brother. I'm going to find a way to kill him. Because um, I'm ticked. You know, he took everything from me. I'm lowly. And I, and, and I so I'm going to go and kill him. No, he's kind of uh, but he's not the smartest guy, so would it have happened? Uh, um, but anyways, as you go through the story, he actually does seek out a way to kill him. And he tries to, um, to make up this plan to go out and get him. And Rebecca, the wife, actually um, uh, realizes this and hides Jacob and protects him. And so they hide and they run off. And he never, he never gets a chance to kill him for like years and years. And, and then what, what's really cool about this story is Esau had no, you know, 
uh, reason to forgive him. I mean, literally, Jacob took everything he deserved. Um, but if you go through the story in Genesis 31, so several chapters later, which we'll get to later, he actually forgives his brother for what he did to him. Although his brother becomes this really successful like leader and all these things that Esau really had the right to be and really should have become, he has all the blessing. Esau actually forgives his brother and makes up with him. And they just have a moment in Genesis 31 where after years of being apart, they come together and they kind of reconcile their relationship. And then they push forward from there. So the reason I share this with you guys is because everybody has somebody in their life that makes them mad, whether it's a sibling, uh, whether it's somebody in your family, or whether it's like a friend, and they do things that make you upset. And if you're like Esau, you probably don't want to forgive them. You may even want to kill them, you know, if you're real, real mad, real angry. Um, but if you, if you stop and you take some time to just kind of think about it and to pray, then you can realize that, okay, this person's still family. This person was still created by God. They're still made in God's image. And if God can forgive me when I don't deserve it, I can seek to forgive this person when they don't deserve it. I don't have to be best friends with them. You know, I don't have to hang out with them every day. But I can at least do that. Because you think about this, you know, in our life today, God sent his son Jesus, which was a perfect son, to die on the cross for our sins. And we've all done tons of things in our life. We you know, we'd have a huge book or huge list of things we've done wrong that we really don't deserve a relationship with God. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve any of that. But yet God still gives it to us. He still forgives us after every mistake we've made. And he still sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. So if God can forgive you out of all the terrible things you've done and continue to do, then you can forgive somebody else in your life that's done something bad to you. And it's not always easy. It's really hard, especially if you're in a situation like Esau and somebody takes everything from you, especially a close family member. That's hard. But if you can seek to forgive that person, it brings healing to you, and it also can give a chance to restore that relationship. Whether that person receives that forgiveness or not, that's on them. But if you forgive that person and you, you take that effort to do that, a peace comes about you, a joy comes about you, and you can release that, that guilt and that anger and that frustration you have for that person, and you can push forward. Um, so that's an important thing. I want you guys to think about today, who's hurt you deeply? What's somebody you're really upset with or somebody that's done something to you that you have a hard time getting past? And what, what kind of steps can you take today to start to show them the forgiveness and love that they don't deserve like God showed us? Even if you don't think it's possible, through God, even the most broken relationships can be reconciled. And you think about like our, our lives today, you know, even the most sinful person in the world, you know, murderer, rapist, you name it. There's all throughout history accounts of those people turning to Christ because God still sought after them. He still forgave them. He still loved them. And when they finally turned to him and realized that they're wrong and they turned to him, he was there to welcome them with open arms and forgive them, just like Esau eventually was with Jacob. Um, last takeaway from this story, if you guys remember in the very first part of the story, there was something that God said would happen. He said that the younger one will rule over the older one. You know, when, when Rebecca was having these kids and they were struggling in the womb, he said the younger one will rule over the older one. Well, think about this. The first person that was born was who? Esau. The second one was Jacob. And Esau, he had the birthright. He had dad's approval. You know, everything was set for Esau to be the guy that was going to be the leader and take over. 
what happened? Jacob ended up taking over. And he ended up becoming the leader. Now, obviously, that was deceptive, and they didn't, you know, that was a bad way to do that. But God kind of warned them ahead of time this would, this would happen. So I want you guys to think about how cool that is. You know, God told Rebecca and, and Isaac that, hey, this is what's going to happen. Prepare yourselves now for this. And you know, they didn't know how it was going to happen. He still promised them this is what's going to come true. So what you guys to think about all the promises again in the Bible, all the things God promises you in your life, even if it's not happening how you want it to or right now, eventually it will come to pass. And when it does, it will be more amazing than anything you could ever expect. You know, and, and, and God takes that bad situation that Jacob did with Esau and ends up pretty much blessing both of them, and they end up becoming really good leaders. Um, and so although they had a really terrible moment there and terrible years in their childhood, God still took that brokenness and used it for something great for his, for his glory. So whatever brokenness you have in your life, whatever hurt, whatever struggle you're going through, God can and will use it for his glory if you give it to him and turn back to him. So let me go ahead and pray for us today.